Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Guy Talk is continuing. We've got a little bit more in the tank, which is great. And then uh, Dr. Paul Kingor is going to be joining me for the um, remaining part of this second hour with his book, The Devil and Karl Marx. It's going to be an interesting hour, but Guy Talk has still got some more uh, more fuel in the tank. So we're going to uh, continue on with the power panel. Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, and Peter Kapsner. Thank you, gentlemen, again for uh, staying on a little bit longer. Yeah, for sure, Bill. Good to be here. All right. Hebrews... Hebrews 10, chap, uh, chapter 10, verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Is it a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? I don't think I will ever, I don't think I've heard a sermon on these New Testament verses. Why do we skip over this visualization of the Lord? Because we don't like it. Oh. <laughs> and it, it's not real popular. And most of the church consultants on growth that I've talked with uh, tell me to stay as far away from that passage as I can. The truth is not always comfortable. I think we want a comfortable Christianity, and we do. We want people to know the grace and love of Jesus. But on the other hand, you know, he's also someone you don't want to mess around with. And to fall in the hands of the living God is a terrible thing. I remember telling people uh, that were really, really uh, angry at the Lord and they didn't care what Jesus said, and they're going to follow whatever they want to do. And I said, you know, when you stand before Jesus, I think you're going to have a different story. Because when you stand before him, you're going to have to give an account. And if you think the devil's bad, you don't want to meet Jesus on the other side. So it's a harsh word. and But that's what I love about the New Testament, uh, folks. The, it doesn't hide anything. You know, all the laundry is there, and it says, take Jesus for who he is, not for who you want him to be. And I think, too, there's, there's the passage about... Um, I, I think if you count the verses, Jesus talks more about hell than he does about heaven. And I think I asked a gal once, when was the last time you heard your pastor talk on hell? And she said, he's never talked on hell. And I just can't get into that. I mean, we have to preach heaven and hell. And if people don't like it, sorry. Uh, we, we, you know, if, if you're a pastor, if you're a layperson, and you're talk, talking to your relatives, we periodically need to bring hell up because it's in the New Testament. And not to is, you know, just letting people think things are fine, you know, so. Uh-huh. Justin, it sounds like you were going to talk with your material. <laughs> with, my, <laughs> with my material? I was waiting for Peter's text, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, one of the one of the other sides to this, I mean, you know, it says the Lord will, will judge his people, you know, and, and talking about, you know, kind of ultimately the Lord's going to balance the, the scales of justice and every, you know, every wrong and is going to become, you know, undone in terms of the punishment that, that people receive that um, do not turn to the Lord. And I, and I think, too, is that we kind of like pull back from this passage and you look at the writer of Hebrews writing to, you know, Christians that were, were experiencing, you know, a lot of opposition and persecution, even to the point of death. You know, I, I think this ultimately reminds us like to really, I mean, you know, uh, mercy will triumph over judgment. And I'm not trying to soften 
the, 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 the wrath of God here. But I think when, when Christians are looking at our enemies, we would ultimately recognize that, you know, even our enemies and even our worst enemies, and sometimes that, sometimes the, the way that we even do that within the context of the Christian family, like, we don't want anyone to fall in. I don't want to fall into the hands of a I don't want to be subject of God's just wrath. And, and, and I actually would not wish that upon even my worst enemy. So I think it, it, it actually produces, when we grasp the hard truths, and I, and I love the old Puritan, Puritan stating that, you know, you know, hard truths produce soft hearts. I think ultimately this hard truth about God and, and his wrath and his judgment should produce within us that soft heart, that humble heart, that, that heart of trembling that Paul had that we were talking about earlier, and ultimately that heart of posture where we actually pray for and love our enemies the way Jesus commanded us to in the Sermon on the Mount. So those are just some of the thoughts that are coming to my mind as I was kind of opening up and re-looking at that passage. Yeah, I, I think, too, that um, when I think about God's anger, and and I read something recently where it, somebody was saying that from the biblical text standpoint that God's anger is God's settled disposition against sin, meaning that God is always disposed to be against sin, and, and it's a fierce uh, disposition against sin. And the question is, is why? Why does he have such a fierce disposition against sin? And this is where I think there's actually an invitation and, and a comfort for believers. It's the, the, the disposition against sin is because it's harming the creation that he loves. And and so he is for us in his anger because he has a settled disposition against the sin that otherwise might wreck us. And and so when we ha- then that's what would motivate God to then send his son to break the power of sin because of his settled disposition against it. And so uh, clearly for those that turn their back on that and decide that they are going to have a settled disposition against God, his his wrath will come. But I think it's it's a helpful picture to have in our mind's eye that God's anger is a direct result of his love for his creation because he's, uh, he has a settled disposition against sin that otherwise would wreak havoc upon it. And we need to remind people that we have a Savior from God's wrath. I mean, when, when we get scared of uh, the wrath of God, uh, what, Romans 5, having been justified by his blood, how much more will we be, will we be saved from the wrath of God by Christ? And uh, Christ delivers us from the wrath to come. I think that's First Thessalonians. So, yes, God is wrathful against our sin, but hallelujah, somebody absorbed God's wrath on the cross so we could be forgiven and saved. You know, and that's why we need to tell the whole truth. When I watch the news at night, you go from NBC to CBS to CNN to Fox News, same story, you don't even know what's being said. You're all over the place. And I, I've said to my grandson over and over, I can live with the truth. What I can't live is, with is deception or only a half-truth. Mm-hmm. Christianity, preachers and teachers of the Word, small group Bible studies, we're to look at the whole truth of God's Word and balance that out. You know, he is a very loving Lord. He is gracious. But I think we preach that so much to people that they made Jesus trivial on one hand without the other side. But then, of course, you know, at the turn of the century, 19, the 20th century, there are a lot of fire and brimstone preachers. Uh, and that's a misuse as well. It is that balance. Preach both. The both are there in the text. Give the message to everybody what's there and let the Lord speak to the individual heart. All right. We got a call from one of our uh, listeners in the new listening area. Uh, Joe from Hutchinson said, fear God, love others, listen to Guy Talk. <laughs> I'm not sure that's scriptural. We can put a banner up here. A banner you don't know that, like Peter Kastner. <laughs> that's you true. Don't... Like a trinity of Christian discipleship right there. That's good. Right. Thanks, Joe. All right, Second Corinthians 5, I'm looking at uh, verses 18 through 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself mm. and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, I heard someone say these verses kind of sum up the Christian's primary mission in life. What are these verses telling you to do? These are some of my favorite verses, and I wish, honestly, this was hung in the church to see. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I remember meeting with a, a friend of mine who's a doctor. Unfortunately, he just had a stroke, and so he is uh, more in a vegetative state, my age. And I remember we were both growing up in the Lord together, and I remember asking him, well, what's your purpose in life? He said, my purpose is to be a doctor. And I said, but what does Jesus say your purpose is? And then we talked about this very passage. Well, oh, I guess my primary role is to be his voice in the world, his ambassador. I said, so then you do that through your medical practice. Medical practice is legitimate. If you're a bricklayer, it's a legitimate business. People need it. But you are still the ambassador of Jesus. And I think that most young people, as well as most churchgoers, don't get this message. And therefore, they get pushed by the devil in all different kinds of directions because they have no real understanding of why they're here or where they're going. And every time I hear about somebody 15, 16, 17 years old committing suicide because they're depressed or whatever else, it just absolutely drives me crazy. We should know. And every person in the church should know this is our mission. We're ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. No matter what else we do with our life. Yeah, I love that picture of being an ambassador. You think about the role of the earthly ambassador, right? Is to represent their country's interests and their their country's priorities and their country's ways of life in a foreign country. And so to be an ambassador that is a reconciling ambassador to the kingdom means that we are part of a kingdom that isn't of this world. And we are ambassadors or representatives of that kingdom. And our primary job on behalf of the interests of that kingdom is to bring reconciliation to the world because God at his very heart desires the reconciliation of all things. And what a call, what a purpose for all of us to be ambassadors of that kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I think one, I think yeah. one way to, that helps us do that in the morning, I don't do it every morning, but almost every morning, I pray, Lord, help me share you with one other person today mm-hmm. so that when I get out of bed and I'm heading into the day, I've got it into my mind, Lord, is there some one person today I'm supposed to reconcile to you? And just to, to pray that helps me remind myself why we're on the planet. Mm. Should, shouldn't yeah. that go on everyone's prayer list effective immediately? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, starting yeah. today? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Tom mm-hmm. Brock, that's such a great uh, reminder to mm-hmm. all of us. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. All right, there's an awkward pause. Well, I just want to thank, I want to thank Tom. Well, Tom, what did you say those, me, what do you do when you pray at night? You pray five blessings from the Lord? I, I remind, I thank God for five things he did for me that day. Okay, but, but you and I work together, and there's number six you haven't mentioned. You? Yeah, when you call me at night and you say you're still my friend. Yeah, so we do that one, too. It's definitely with a question, Parrish. I keep forgetting to uh, thank you? God for Tom Parrish. You? Okay. That's adorable. That's great. Well, I so appreciate that. Oh, go ahead. Oh, Bill, I, real briefly, I was just going to say, you know, I, and I was thinking back to the caller before talking about, you know, asking God for a purpose and, and that idea. And I, and I love just how we answered that. But I think, you know, this idea of, you know, and, you know, working with college students and we want to know, like, what's my purpose? What's my major? Where am I supposed to live? Who am I supposed mm-hmm. to marry? And, they, you know, we don't have a chapter and verse for that because those are explicit purposes that are temporary. But we have we have a, a purpose while we're here on this earth that transcends any role, season yes. or 
you know, anything that we have. And it's, if, we're, if we're obedient to what God makes clear as a purpose for us as ambassadors, I, it's been my experience that he will then make clear what is that, that explicit purpose and the means by which that you will do that, whether you're a medical doctor, whether you're washing windows, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're whatever, you fill in the blank. God will make that clear when we obey what he does make clear. That's right. So, yeah. so I will uh, conclude Guy Talk with a, a nice uh, verse from Sue, who said, uh, this is my salvation verse, and it's Romans 5, mm-hmm. 9. Since we have been, since we now have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Mm, good word, my mm. promise. Nice uh, job, Sue. Yeah, what a promise. All right, gentlemen, thanks for uh, guy talk today. My guests have been Dr. Uh, Peter Kapsner, pastors Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, and Justin Jepson. You guys are uh, amazing. We love this time together. Mm, it's been fun. You know, the bottom line, I know we laugh a, a lot, but we just uh, love each other. That's yeah, what I we feel. do for yeah. sure. So thanks. All right. When we take a little break, we'll come back with Dr. Paul Kengor. And Paul has uh, written a new book called The Devil and Karl Marx. You're going to, I think, really enjoy hearing from Paul. We'll be right back. Decades after the publication of the Black Book of Communism, nearly everyone is or at least should be aware of the immense evil produced by this devilish ideology first hatched when Karl Marx penned his Communist Manifesto two centuries ago. My guest is Dr. Paul Kengor, who's got a stellar resume, and I could tell you all about him, but I'm excited to talk to him about his new book called The Devil and Karl Marx. Paul, welcome. Hey, Bill. Good to be back. Thanks. Yeah, yeah I've been very excited to talk to you about this book. I think it's incredibly timely, given our place in the world right now. Yeah, unfortunately so. Yeah, right? yeah. So when we look at socialism or Marxism, it's uh, often, I think, been titled a, a good idea that goes wrong. How would you respond to that? Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's it's a it's a bad idea that went wrong because it's a bad idea. Okay. I mean, that, that's what it, yeah, that's what it comes down to. <clears throat> In fact, you know, the the main problem. Wow, the main problem. Wow, there's so many problems. <laughs> I mean, I mean, for, <laughs> I, I guess I would say the main problem is probably you don't hear this a lot, Bill, but anthropological in the sense that communism gets human nature wrong. It get it gets man wrong. And it, it's it's also bad economics. It's bad politics, policy, ideology, philosophy. It's 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 bad religion, and it assumes, among other things, and kind of tie all of that together, if you will, that you know, to to borrow from Augustine, right? We we have a, there's a God shaped vacuum in all of us, right? Which means that 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 there's a vacuum in each of us that only God can fill. But but for, but for communists, the the vacuum in us is is economic. It's not a god shaped vacuum. It's a dollar shaped vacuum, and and they believed, and this is you know, really kind of in the mold, quite quite literally, right? That they could you know, fashion a golden calf, a uh, out of out of property, uh, out of out of material. It was a strictly material world, and as as Jesus told. Satan, of all people, right? Man does not live by bread alone. But communists thought that if you could solve the economic problem, 
It really is as if man lives by bread alone, right? Mm -hmm. You solve the economic problem, then you solve the human problem. Then you could usher in this utopia. And boy, boy, above all, you must take out God. You must take out religion. And that clears the way. And and so that's that's how Marx and Engels thought. And from there flowed everything else that, that went wrong. Mm-hmm. Would you uh, give us a little background on on Karl Marx, like his his experience or his history with religion, and how he came to the place where he just said, "All right, I'm rejecting God." Yeah, it, it's really it's really a fascinating journey, Bill. So so he he was born May fifth, eighteen eighteen, in Trier, Germany, and Trier is spelled like Trier, T R I E R, and it's ironically it's one of the most Christian cities in in all of Europe, certainly in all of Germany. In fact, the great cathedral of Trier goes back to the year 324, and it, it was built by no less than Helena, uh, yeah, Saint Helena. She's she's a saint, I think, in the Eastern Church and the Roman Catholic Church. She, she's the mother of Constantine, of all things. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it, and it was Helena who made this famous trip, this famous pilgrimage to the Holy Land around the year 324. And brought back you know, what are believed to be <clears throat> i mean no one no one knows for sure but but the the, the crown of thorns of that of, of christ that that is in Notre Dame Cathedral to this day, she brought that back, or we don 't know for sure if it 's a crown of thorns right but 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 that 's what she brought back. She brought back to the cathedral in Trier in, in marx 's hometown. The, the holy robe of Jesus that Jesus wore on the way to the crucifixion that the Roman soldiers cast mm. lots for. <laughs> so that, that's Marx's hometown. Wow. Wow. His, his, his home, where, where he was raised, is quite literally in the shadow of, of that great cathedral. So he was, he, was from, he was from a Jewish family. And this is ironic because he was really anti-Semitic. I mean, his anti-Semitic statements are, are amazing. But he came from this long line of a Jewish family, long line of rabbis. His father converted to Christianity in 1820. At that point, Marx would have been only two years old. And then Marx was baptized as a Christian at the age of, in 1823, the age of five. And Marx's mother held off on that. <clears throat> she didn't want the kids to be baptized because she herself was never really fully committed to it. But but the but the father became a Christian, became Lutheran, and and then Marx became a Christian. He became Lutheran as well, and was a fairly committed Christian from what we can tell as a teenager, until he went off to college. And <laughs> same old story, right, Bill? You know, nothing right. ever changes. Right. <laughs> so it, and it was it was there at the University of Bonn that he came under the wing, the tutelage, had a mentor. A guy named Bruno Bauer, who was terribly anti-Semitic, um, very cynical, and an atheist. And get this, and of course he taught systematic theology. So yeah, so but else it hasn't changed, right? Wow. <laughs> you know, university professor, theology class taught by an atheist. And within a pretty short time, he and his star student Karl Marx, they were. They were riding into town together on donkeys at Easter time, mocking in a parody of Christ entering Jerusalem, and and launching an archives of atheism together. And and with that, you know, Carl was kind of off and running. Yeah, 
You know, I think I did hear that he had some kind of strange behaviors, and that stunt would be kind of strange. Um, and he had yeah. certainly lots of weird ideas. Didn't he write some poetry and all uh, have other kind of musings that were just very strange? He did, yeah. And, and really what, what inspires the name of this book, The Devil and Karl Marx, I mean, yeah, well, for one thing, I wrote I wrote books like God and Ronald Reagan, God and George W. Bush, even God and Hillary Clinton. So this is kind of my brand in a way, <laughs> in a way, right? I've never had occasion, though, Bill, to write The Devil at anybody. But, but in, in Marx's case, the man actually wrote poetry plays about the devil and and you know here here's one this is from the pale maiden that he wrote in 1837 and i think this one is really ironic if not chilling because it's i i would argue bill it's autobiographical this is one stanza from it thus heaven i forfeited i know it full well my soul once true to god is chosen for hell chosen for hell and and this one called the player. By the way, he got he got both of these published in a, in a journal. So this isn't just somebody like scribbling in his notebook, right, during class when he's kind of dozing off or Bruno Bauer's uh, <laughs> lectures. But but this one it's called the player. Look now, my blood dark sword shall stab unerringly within thy soul. The hellish vapors rise and fill the brain till I go mad and my heart is utterly unchanged. See the sword, the prince of darkness sold it to me, for he beats the time and gives the signs. Ever more boldly, I play the dance of death. And and that kind of dark, uh, you know, ominous, foreboding uh, junk is is all through his writings. And and Marx's biographers have known about this bill for a long time, but it's not something that your kid in college who's going to learn only good things about Marx, they're, they're, they're not going to hear any of this. Can you hold for 10 minutes so I can go take a shower? <laughs> well, I, I, I felt that way doing the research. Oh, I, boy, I was, that's creepy. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and I, I, I mean, my wife can attest to this. So many times I would I'd be there in the dining room, and I would just say, oh, uh, and she'd say, what's wrong, reading Marx again, honey? Uh, yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> reading Marx. And yeah, I, had, I, had my, uh, I would go to the playground, Bill, with, with, my, with my kids, and I'd have a copy of Richard Wormbrand's books. Remember Richard Wormbrand? He wrote Tortured for Christ. The pastor wrote Tortured for Christ. And I'd be, like, pushing my son on, on the swing, like one of those baby swings. And, and a mom would come up and say, oh, hi, what are you reading? And I'd say, ah, never mind, never mind. <laughs> no, 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 tell me, what are you reading? Nah, you don't really want to. Oh, come on, let me see. Oh, Marx and Satan. <laughs> what a nice book. <laughs> but, 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 but at, at night, at, at night I, I, would, I would put this this intellectual sewage aside and, and read something, you know, pick up my Bible, yeah. read, you know, read meditations. It, yeah. it, it's, it's bad stuff to go yeah. to bed to. It really is. Yeah. Dr. Paul Kengor is my guest. His new book is The Devil and Karl Marx. After a short break, we'll be right back.
We are back with Dr. Paul Kengor. He's written a book called The Devil and Karl Marx. And fascinating. Uh, you know, when I was l- looking at the book, Paul, and I was thinking of the influence that Marx had, what was it about his personal character that was able to kind of have the influence he has? Well, it's a good question. And I mean, part of it, I mean, frankly, really, Bill, this kind of confounds me. I mean, when when you actually sit down and read the Communist Manifesto, I don't see how anybody can be persuaded by it. Mm -hmm. It's I, I mean, it is utterly unconvincing, unconvi- uh, and, and people who are listening right now, <clears throat> especially anybody from driving home who, driving home who's who has a business, work works in the business world, I'm telling you, pick up this book, pick up the Communist Manifesto, take a read through it, and, and you'll just shake your head in disbelief. I mean, if somebody walked into one of your business meetings. A, a, a potential client with with a, with a proposal like this, you'd laugh him out of the room. It's, it's, it's like, come on, this is impossible. You're not going to get anywhere doing it. It's it's just it's not feasible. It's not practical. It it, it it's obvious on its face. And 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 mere statements like the entire communist theory may be summed up in the single sentence: abolition of private property. I mean, that's just it's it's a non-starter. I, I, it, you. Say to the guy across the room, okay, all right, all right, how are you going to abolish private property? Let's just start with that, okay? <laughs> hey, how, how are you going to abolish? Well, I don't know uh, what I mean. Okay, this is what it says, which private property? Okay, how, when, by who? Who's going to take it? By what date? Tell me, Carl, please, how do you do this? Okay, help me here, please, please. I, I mean, you just the, the guy wouldn't even get a seat around the table. And here we are, 170-some years later, and professors are, are still teaching this junk in their classrooms and getting away with it. Maybe they're getting away with it because of people with impressionable minds. I mean, it seems to have an appeal to younger people, at, le- at least to some degree. Um, but but, it, but it, it, at a practical level, it just doesn't work. Yeah, Paul, was it the statement that said if God did exist, it would be necessary to abolish him? Was that Marx or Engels or somebody else? That is, you know, Marx said something almost exactly like that, and and the other guy who said something like that is is Mikhail Bakunin, and Mikhail Bakunin was a was a Russian atheist and a revolutionary socialist anarchist. I mean, imagine that, right? Socialist <laughs> anarchist, right? Yeah. And, and he and he, he even even Marx, who who was buddies with him, Marx said, I, I don't get this. How how, do you, how are you a socialist and an anarchist? I, I, that doesn't make any sense, but but Bakunin and Marx got along because of of their mutual hatred of religion mm-hmm. and and hatred of God. And I would say, in Bakunin's sense, I mean it it really was a hatred of God. In fact, this is from his, his a line from his book God and the State, and 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 this is it, Bill. You nailed it. Quote: If God really existed, it would be necessary to abolish him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, imagine that. If God really existed, it would be necessary to abolish him. And and Bakunin, he said he referred to Adam, uh, our Adams and Eves. They they were, if not gorillas, very near relatives of gorillas, omnivorous, intelligent, and ferocious beasts. Wow. And he refers to God, Jehovah, quote as the most jealous, the most vain, the most ferocious, the most unjust the most bloodthirsty, the most despotic, 
and the most hostile to dignity and human liberty. That's how my, uh, Michael Bakunin talked about God. To, to which I say, uh, hey, you better be right that God doesn't exist, dude, <laughs> or you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be in trouble. But but the guy that Bakunin hailed and Saul Alinsky actually wrote this way as well. He said, but ah, here steps in Satan, the eternal rebel, the first free thinker, and the emancipator of worlds. He makes man ashamed of his bestial ignorance and obedience. He emancipates man. He stamps upon his brow the seal of liberty and humanity in urging him to disobey and eat of the fruit of knowledge. So to Bakunin, God is bad, but Satan is good. Hmm. Satan is a free thinker. He's a liberator. And and to quote from Saul Alinsky in the in the very very beginning of Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, he refers to he refers to Lucifer as as the first rebel who, in rebelling against God, bought him uh, bought himself his own kingdom. So they have this kind of they have this noble view of Satan and this ignoble and and denying view of God. And uh, yeah, it's 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 chilling. That's which is why I say you know the devil and Karl Marx, the devil and Marxists, these guys. This was not a sort of routine garden variety atheism. These guys were dealing with some really dark stuff. Mm. And does that explain why we're having a resurgence in interest in Marxism today? Well. I think it might, and uh, kudos to you for asking and putting it that way. I, I mean, I, I believe that that, that this ideology, it, the, the spread of this ideology and the seductive temptation that it has, really, Bill, it cannot be explained by rational means. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it just cannot. I, I, I mean, you, it, it, there, there should be, for there to be any people today who call themselves communists, at least one country in all of history where it's worked, right? I mean, I mean really, there ought to be a dozen or a hundred for people to be willing to call themselves. Co- yeah. they, they can't choose, choose five. They can't choose three. They can't even find one. Yeah. And, and, and the book is out there, uh, the, the, the manifesto, all these other books, all these other writings. So why, 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 why would people be attracted to this? Yeah, no kidding. And, yeah, and, and I, think, I think you have to be a Christian, to really understand that this this is a this is this is diabolical there's a deeper darker spiritual reason for for the appeal that this atheistic faith of communism has so paul would you talk about how the communist manifesto talked about violence almost as if it's a necessity yes it's terrible on that. It, it's it's loaded with statements on that. By the way, they they also they referred to Marx and Engels initially referred to the to the Communist Manifesto as quote their Communist Confession of Faith. Uh, Engels called it uh, called it their Catechism, right? So think of Westminster Confession, um, Catechism of the Catholic Church. So they view this in, in actual religious language. Mikhail Gorbachev said, you know, Marxists treated, communists treated these writings like canonical texts. Ronald Reagan said, referred to it as, quote, Marxism, Leninism, that, that religion of theirs, as, as he put it. 
but but yeah, no, for for Marx, I mean, it's just there's just violence that's 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 loaded throughout all of all of his different writings. Lenin as well. Uh, you know, they they believe that the only way that you were going to get a revolution was was through was through violent overthrow. And there there's a statement at the end of the Communist Manifesto where where it calls for it's the communists everywhere support every revolutionary movement. Uh, they support the the violent overthrow of of all existing social and political conditions. And and if that surprises anybody, again, take the take the money line, right? If Marx would pardon the expression money line. Um the you know the entire communist theory may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. Well duh, how are you gonna do that but without violence? Right. Right? You're right. going to need guns and gulags you bet. to take away everybody's private property. Mm-hmm. Wow. So when I think of the communist philosophy, when I don't know a lot about it, I mean, um, and I think of the practices of, of communist philosophy, uh, atheism is a pretty important part of that, isn't it? I mean, it's a necessity, isn't it? It is. And and Marx said that communism begins where atheism begins. Okay. Yeah, he said. He said religion is the opiate of the masses. Uh, Nikolai Bukharin, who was one of the founders of the Bolsheviks, he said that a fight, a fight to the death, must be, must be declared upon religion. We must take on religion at the tip of the bayonet. And 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 he also said, and this is a direct quote, Bill: Religion and communism are incompatible. Both theoretically and practically, communism is incompatible with religious faith. Religion is the opium of the masses, said said Karl Marx. It is the task of the communist people to make this truth comprehensible to the widest possible circles of the laboring masses. So, so to them, this was like, um, ironically, they spread the communist atheistic faith. In the way that any on fire Christianary Christian missionary would 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 seek to spread the mm-hmm. faith and plant seeds and sow the harvest, yeah, right. They were all about winning converts, and it's a funny thing about atheists. Atheists that have always struck me, you know, if you really believe that that believing in God is is for idiots, and what why why do you why do you obsess over? Why do you insist on spreading atheism? Why are you so hell bent? On spreading an atheistic mm-hmm. philosophy, yeah, yeah, but, but for the communists, there again, I think the answer to that lays in part in the spiritual, even the diabolical. Mm-hmm. A listener named uh, Richard uh, wants to know, Paul, how does Marx parallel with the socialist movement today? Yeah, well, I mean, groups like um, the the Democratic Socialists of America. Which is what uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is part of that group. It, it calls itself the quote largest socialist organization in the United States, quote unquote. Uh, Ilhan Omar is a member of that. Rashida Tlaib is a member of it. Communist Party USA is still around. People's World is still around. And uh, Patrice Cullors and Alicia Garza, the the two founders of Black Lives Matter. Patrice says she said uh, Alicia and I are trained Marxist organizers. She said we are, quote, super versed in ideological theories, unquote. That is our ideological framework. And if you go to the website of Black Lives Matter and look at the About section, 
it actually uses the word comrades several times, and and it says that they support they support upending the quote Western prescribed nuclear family structure, which of course you know, Bill has nothing to do with George Floyd, you know, nothing to do right. with reforming the police. That's just Marxist junk, and every anyone who thinks. Well, wait a second here, Professor. You were talking about economics. What is family? What, why would that have anything to do with Marx? Again, read the Communist Manifesto. Marx and Engels wrote, quote, abolition of the family, exclamation mark. Even the most radical flare up at this infamous proposal of the communists. So that is um, modern-day Marxists understand this. Mm. And, and people who don't understand that stuff – and when they hear people like me saying, hey, the fact that Patrice Cullors and Alicia Garza of Black Lives Matter tell you that they're trained Marxists and that that's ideo- their ideological framework, that should matter to you. <laughs> because believe me, it matters to them, and it matters to them as much as it does to you and I, Bill, that we come from a Christian worldview, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's what makes them tick. It's what motivates them. It's what makes them think. If you want to understand them— they're telling you this is this is how to understand them, and people shouldn't dismiss it like, oh, you're just using that to call them names. No, it, it, that matters. It matters. Yeah. So, Paul, when you look at some of suburbia, uh, USA, and you look at these lovely little homes in suburbia with uh, intact families, and you see so many Black Lives Matter signs in yards, what does that mean? Well, what ba- what bothers me the most, and uh, yeah, you're right. You you've put it suburbia. Um, the I what I've seen the experiences that I've had um, with Black Lives Matter supporters. They're usually um, white liberals in graduate schools. Okay. And and you know Fenway Park in Boston put up a, a giant sign for it. The uh, and I could quote for you. I could find this in just a couple of searches really quickly in my own database, my Word documents. Different statements from um, black people saying, you know, you you want to know how to ruin our community? Uh, go to Black Lives Matter and click um, hashtag defund the police and support that. Mm-hmm. That would be devastating for us. That would be devastating. The you know, the, the the police keep order. That's who we go to. And you should see some of the emails I have from from cops, Bill. And I and when I hang up, I may get one who yeah, said I just heard you. Uh, yep, yep. And 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 you know, the, they they are and and in I don't know what numbers you have to break this down, but and and big cities, certainly my hometown of Pittsburgh. Um, I know Washington D.C. At least half the force, the police force, is black. So so you know the idea. These guys, these folks are really upset, really upset mm-hmm. at this uh, defund the police movement. And there's a line at the Black Lives Matter website. It, it says, um, we know that the police don't keep us safe. Wow. We know that the police don't keep us safe. Do you know how outrageous that statement is and how offensive that is? And, and how dare anybody stick a sign in their front yard um, supporting a group that says something like that. Why don't you just replace it with a sign that says, quote, we know the police don't keep us safe, right? Mm-hmm. Quote, unquote, 
Black Lives Matter underneath it, because yeah. that's what it says at the website. Wow. Dr. Paul Kingor is my guest. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with more. His new book is called The Devil and Karl Marx. You're going to definitely want to get your hands on this one. We'll be right back. We're back with Dr. Paul Kingor. His new book is The Devil and Karl Marx. And it's been a fascinating discussion, despite the topic, which is difficult for sure. Uh, Paul, how has Marxism infiltrated the church and the universities? Yeah, now now that's an amazing story. And I spend probably the largest section on the book on, on precisely that, Bill. And I think I have five chapters on it. They they deliberately targeted they they deliberately targeted the mainline denominations in particular so the Episcopal Church, United Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, what would eventually become Presbyterian Church USA PCUSA, and uh, and they also targeted the Catholic Church, and they probably they probably had their biggest success with the Episcopal Church and the United Methodist Church. And with the United Methodists, it was through a group called called the Methodist Federation for Social Action. That was the name of it. And, you know, which in that day was kind of co-language for social justice, right? They called it social action. And the guy who led that effort was, was known in Communist Party circles as the Red Dean of clergy. His, his name was the Reverend Harry Ward. Hmm. And, and this guy was, he was involved in if not running almost every front group under the sun. And and by the way, too, Bill, he was one of the co-founders of, anybody? The ACLU, wow. one of the co- co-founders of the ACLU. And and so Ward was, um, he was called probably the most duplicitous clergyman of the 20th century. Mm. He was, um, he, he caused a lot of trouble. And really, the, the penetration, the penetration went deep. Uh, Paul, would this guy be an example of someone who followed in the footsteps of, of Marx, who was just out to uh, oust religion or attack God? Well, that's a good question. And and with, with Ward, so I, I've been writing about him for, boy, a long time, Bill. I was writing about him in my book, Dupes. And and I figured that he was he was a Christian. He was just kind of a social justice, religious left Christian. Okay. But but I I don't the the more I see of this now and and what what I read from him, I I don't know. I I mean I think there's a real good chance that that um, that 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 he was a complete plant, right, and, mm-hmm. an infiltrator. That that he's somebody who never believed in it at all. It's it's hard to say. There's um, here's a here's a really damning quote. This is from Earl Browder, who was the general secretary of Communist Party USA, and he's speaking to students at Union Theological Seminary. And you know you know about UTS, right? Mm-hmm. Very very le- very left of center seminary in New York has been for over a hundred years. And this is February fifteenth, nineteen thirty-five, and this this was not in classified documents. He he wrote about this. The party republished this, and he told them, "quote You may be interested in knowing that we have preachers, preachers active in churches who are members of the Communist Party." Unquote. And that's that's shocking. 
that that's a wake up call because my sense always was and really still is in fact this is true the vast majority of the people on religious left that showed up to communist front organization rallies groups like the American League Against War and Fascism they were mostly duped they were mostly hoodwinked mm-hmm. uh, the the fact that you could have some preachers who were actual members in the communist party where they were told by William Z. Foster, who preceded Earl Browder and others, that, quote, you must be in the process of liquidating your religious beliefs, unquote, is, uh, is really striking. And, of course, the party happily let him in because, you know, they, as, as Manning Johnson, one of the party defectors, said, you know, I, I, some of these people could do way more good than – 20 preachers doing whatever else because you know these these were these were sincere believers there's basically basically wolves in sheep's clothing mm-hmm. Paul talk about how important words are because I think it was in uh, like the early part of 1900 the the communists would classify people as non-persons so if you're classified as a non-person you're real easy to kill that's right it's it's the whole dehumanization of the human person when when you believe that there's no God, then you're convinced that human beings aren't made in the imago dei, right, mm-hmm, in the yeah. image of God. So, so it becomes that much more easy to kill people. And as Dostoevsky said, if God does not exist, everything is permissible. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the flip side of that, the quote from from Mikhail Bakunin, right? If God did exist, we would need to kill him. We would need to wipe him out. Because, because you know, if they, by the way, assuming they could, right? But, but that, but because God got in the way their project of what they wanted to do, this totalitarian project of fundamental transformation. Also, too, on on how names and words matter. Uh, we talked about Black Lives Matter, and I also just mentioned the group, the American League Against War and Fascism. The American League Against War and Fascism bill was the most successful communist front group, especially in bringing in religious progressives, religious uh, left social justice types, because after all, who could be against war and fascism, right? Or, right. or who, who could support war and fascism? Mm-hmm. The American League Against War and Fascism. I'll sign up for that. Just, just like who would possibly say that black lives don't matter? Right. So, so it's it's the sloganeering, and 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 it's so easy for these people to say, "What you don't support this group? Don't you think that Black Lives Matter?" Right. <laughs> and then you got to stop and say, "Well, of course I believe." You're immediately on the defensive, right? Yeah. Well, of oh. course I do. No, you know you're a racist or screwed. Well, you know, I went to their website. Their website, eh, and you can't even talk to people. <laughs> but but the, they, but the the kind of radical left has been brilliant at this sort of propaganda, agitprop, the Russians called it, agitation and propaganda. They've excelled at this for for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. All right, Paul, we only have a couple minutes left, and I think of the uh, number of people killed under communism just in the 20th century, pushing 100 million plus. How do we stand against the evil influences of this nutso ideology today? Well, I mean, how are we how does God call us to res- as people to respond to this? Well, we need to be well, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. I, I think I told you before, I don't really like that phrase because I don't want us to be serpents at all. 
<laughs> right? But 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 we but we need to be wise. We need to boldly speak the truth. Um, you know, that phrase that's in scripture. Somebody told me 365 times: "Be not afraid." Mm-hmm. Right? You got to be bold. You got to be willing to tell the truth. And and uh, you didn't ask me to say this, but you need outlets like Faith Radio. Right? You need. Uh, you know, this is the new evangelization. You need people in their cars, at home, on their phones, listening to things like this and getting educated. Um, you know, uh, Robert Payne. Who I'll leave you with this kind of hideous. parting thought. But Robert Payne, who was probably the best biographer of Marx in 1968, he wrote this. He said, quote, there were times when Marx seemed to be possessed by demons. He had the devil's view of the world and the devil's malignity. Sometimes he seemed to know that he was accomplishing works of evil, unquote. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I say in the book, Bill, I say, look, I don't know if the guy was possessed by demons. I have no idea. Right? To quote, borrow from Barack Obama, that's above my pay grade, right? right? Yeah. But, but, but this guy wrote some chilling stuff, and, um, and his beliefs and the product of his beliefs and what has happened, 100 million dead, diabolical results. Yeah, Paul, you always talk about difficult subjects in such an engaging way. Thank you uh, so well, much for doing the show. I'm very excited for your new book. Uh, the Devil and Karl Mar- Marx. Paul Kengor is the author, and uh, you can head over and pick it up uh, today. Paul, thanks again for doing the show. Anytime, Bill. Take right. care. My pleasure. Right. Dr. Paul Kengor again has been my guest, and his book is called The Devil and Karl Marx. That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks to all the guys for Guide Talk and Dr. Kengor for being an outstanding guest, as he always is. Have a great night, everyone. I'm already looking forward to our time tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.